Welcome to Story Smack. Hello, my name is A. Kovacs, audiobook narrator and founding partner at Empty Set Entertainment. And my name is Scott Sigler, best-selling novelist, and I have a multi-pass. 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 This is episode 18 of Story Smack, a podcast about stories and storytellers in the world of pop culture. In this episode, we are celebrating the 20th anniversary of the gonzo sci-fi, sci-fi flick, The Fifth Element. So it came out on May 9th, 2017. I think this episode drops May 7th, so it's like almost... Well, not, a- wait, not 20... That- May 9th, 2017 is two days from now. Oh, so I mean, May, 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 May 9th, 1997. Okay. Yeah. We're, okay. Well, at least... Well, that <laughs> at, part. At least it's not, uh, you know, like our fuck up with the Gladiator episode. I, fair, fair. This, I mean, everybody celebrates the 17th anniversary of yeah. a sci-fi movie, right? You know, I actually looked... I did look that up. You know how... Um, anniversaries are like paper, tin, no, diamond, everything. Not, really? The 17th anniversary is the furniture anniversary. Look, I'm in. I'm in. Because <laughs> think about it. When you have your first anniversary or whatever, you still, like you need, you're still writing thank you cards from the wedding. Okay. Like that, okay. Right? okay. And you're buying furniture from Ikea or ground scoring it. So after 17 years You're like, together, you know what? I like, want my own brand new settee. <laughs> well, I don't even know what a settee is. I want my is. ottoman and I'm not leaving home without yeah, exactly. it. Exactly. I want it new. I want to pick it out. I want it mine. But anyway, yeah. So you looked it up. It's a furniture anniversary. Furniture anniversary, and yeah. this is an awkward segue, but hey, why don't we talk <laughs> about the high-level overview of the movie? All right. Uh, well, there's... Oh, wait. Oh. And then... So let's just talk about our thoughts about the movie. And then I'm going to guess you might have a surprise. I, I have a surprise. You, you, have a you will be shocked to know that I have a list of things you did not know about I the fifth element. I am shocked. <laughs> shocked, I tell you. Uh, okay. okay. So here's what I know about the fifth element. The fifth element was directed by Luc Besson. And it's from a screenplay that he wrote with Mark, um, Robert Mark Kamen. And uh, he actually started writing that screenplay when he was 16 years old. So oh, he worked really? at, and I, I, fortunately, I don't know how old he was when he made it, probably, you know, mid-30s. But he's a big-time director. He has one of my favorite movies to his credit. Me and uh, my boys, Dan, Rob, Bill, the Scott, the whole crew, everybody's crazy for The Professional. Leon, oh, sure. Leon, yeah. The Professionals. I've actually emulated... Um, side note, side note, I'm working on a pilot script for a TV show that I kind of work on on and off when I'm not heavily under demand. And I love that movie so much. The opening scene basically um, emulates all of that dialogue in the setup, except oh, from, from a very supernatural perspective. Sure. But it's made such an, such an impression on me. He also directed La Femme Nikita, uh-huh. uh, which was a huge movie and went on to have a couple of different TV shows from it. And he wrote one that I just I absolutely hate he he directed Lucy, which they're working on the sequel. And that, that yeah, too. that's recent, and that yeah. yeah, and I think one of the things. So I really also love Joan of Arc, yes. which is his. Yes. And um, I think one of the problems with Lucy, because I'm with you, Lucy was not a great movie, but I think it it may be an issue of scope, right? So they cut out all the all the um, information that would lead you to understand why Lucy can exist to mm-hmm. show you the cool special effects of Lucy existing. Yes. And I, and there's no other source material, so it's like, oh, this doesn't make. And any some people, sense at some all. people are crazy for it. Like yeah. I mean, you go to Rotten Tomatoes and look up Lucy. Uh, people, the people who absolutely love it, because that's one of those things. It's billed as a sci-fi flick, right? And it's just. 
I mean, it's, 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 it's a who, fantasy. It's who, fa- yeah. it's magical fantasy is yep. what it is. Yeah. And so I kind of get you're, lost when I go in. you just saying it was sort of like Doctor Who? No, no, uh, woo. I meant woo to say fan, woo. Yeah, woo. I haven't had, it is a lot like I, I had a late. I had a late night hot dog. I have not had oh, a lot of sleep. Okay, well, that's okay. There we were should... onions and jalapenos on it, and I finished oh, it about 1 a.m. Oh, you weren't calling me hot dog. That makes no. much more sense, because <laughs> I thought you said I had a late night hot dog, and I was like, okay, that's See, new. Hot dog commas, is new. Commas, commas matter. Okay, we are, uh, that was a delivery. We are at the office of Doom, the lair of Doom, if mm-hmm. you will. And somebody was delivering bass gear for me because nice. I like to play bass and I buy things. So can we get back to the movie hot dog? <laughs> Is that movie hot dog or movie comma hot dog? I, well, now I'm going to call you hot dog. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to get back to the movie. All right, all right. Comma hot dog. Uh this movie is actually has a, a big star-studded cast uh-huh. that wasn't necessarily really star-studded when it came out. Mm-hmm. But yeah. in retrospect, it featured four huge movie stars. Yes. The big stars of the flick when it came out, of course, were Bruce Willis and Gary Oldman. Yep. They were stars in their own right at that moment. Huge. And well, yeah. well earned their, their status. Right. Um, Oldman was also in The Professional. FDO, who did Oldman bring to the fight? He brought... Listeners, I'm so sorry about that, but I have to hear that line at least twice a week. It's from the professional. Every every week. (laughs) Hot Dog loves that line. Yes, because it's genius. Yes. So The Fifth Element featured also featured two actors who went on to become stars. The movie provided breakout roles for Chris Tucker as Ruby Road mm-hmm. and Mila Jojovic as Lilu. Multipass. Multipass. Uh, we talked extensively about Mila on the show when we celebrated the Resident Evil franchise, the last movie of which was really awful bad, you guys. <laughs> but other than that, you know, uh, she's she's so become synonymous with sci-fi action movies. So former supermodel... Super attractive human being, also does a ton of kick-ass action sci-fi movies. So mm-hmm. the fact that this was her, this is what launched her. And we both, like, we'll talk about we get a mean, movie, when we watch I it, she this... was lights out in this. She was great. Yeah, this is what launched her into sort of stratosphere status. Correct. Well, uh, she'd, she had had already... few, she'd had a few roles in the modeling thing, but this was... Yeah, and, and but a few quite successful roles too. This oh. is the thing that launched her. I mean, because I'm pretty sure Joan of Arc came after before this. I don't. So we'll have to. Look, we should we'll look, look that, that up. We'll look yeah. that up. But I don't think. Yeah. Well, anyways, this is. Yeah, this is the one that put her on the map. Well, and then there's Chris Tucker, and Chris Tucker went on from this to become a gazillionaire yeah. for yes. his buddy cop series Rush Hour, which is super well deserved. It starred him and Jackie Chan. And they were and it was this it. crazy weird marriage of two different comedic styles that shouldn't have worked. Can you hear the words coming out of my mouth? (laughs) And it's lights out. It's one of those things like my cousin Vinny. It totally, totally deserves what it got, which was all the accolades Mm -hmm. for knockdown, drag out, awesome comedy. Crazy chemistry. So if you guys haven't seen Rush Hour, and I'm sure there's enough of you out there now who are old enough that you just, or young enough that that never came on your radar, fantastic movie for a night hanging out with your significant other, with your pals, just you watching alone with some popcorn. Super popcorn fun. It's great. And it got some some award attention. Uh, the, the, this one? This one did. Okay. Yeah, uh, okay. It, Fifth. The Fifth Element, uh-huh. which is really, uh, we'll talk about it in a sec, but is really spectacular to look at, too. It's beautiful. It um, was nominated for an Oscar for Best Effects Sound Editing. Cool. Yep. Uh, it won a BAFTA Award for Special Effects. And BAFTA is, if you're unfamiliar, is the British Academy of Film and Television Arts. So it's the essentially the equivalent of the Oscars uh, outside the U.S. Brit- Britain is in America somewhere? No. I mean, it... 
these days, I can see why you're confused about that, but no. Oh, I thought we owned everything. No. Well, yeah, that's part of, oh. that's that's not uncommon for Americans <laughs> to think, but that's not the way that works at all. Okay. And we were just in Britain. Oh, that's right. Remember? It was it's like of, a whole nother country. It was, it's like a whole, it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like a whole nother country, full of great beer, fantastic human beings. Great human beings. Great yes. food. And everybody, everybody dogs, British food. We yeah. had awesome, awesome, good. awesome I'm going to say, pies. I'm going to say it wasn't, uh, it, it does take a backseat to Paris food, but the meat pies and the beer, I could survive on that for all of my life. Yeah. The British meat pies are great. Okay. So let's get back to talking about the movie. Okay. okay. I love, 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 love. I, you know, last week we talked about aliens. You think you'd probably seen it a hundred times. Mm-hmm. I've probably seen this movie 15 times wow. or so. Just because it's weird and fun and cool and which I don't I can't tell you why but I feel like it's a great if you're gonna have the tv on in the background mm-hmm. at a party mm-hmm. you should be playing the fifth element because people can watch it but they won't sit down and get involved they can watch one unique fun cool thing mm. like the crazy Jean-Paul Gaultier outfit that yes. Lulu wears or her crazy hair or or it's almost like a, it's almost like wallpaper and like moving of, wallpaper in that regard it's beautiful to look right. at it's one of those movies that if I see it on tv in a hotel room late at night I have to stay up and watch the whole thing so okay. I, I dig it. And one of the things... Oh, I, it's, your, it's, it's your version of my Shawshank Redemption. I guess so. Although I probably would stay up and watch that too. <laughs> that comes on remote control. Like, God damn it. I had all this stuff planned to do. And now Shawshank's on. Yeah. And you're screwed. You're stuck. You got to watch yeah. it. What do you think? Um, I, I, I think this is only the third or fourth time that I have seen it. And it is, it's, it is so pretty to look at. And it doesn't take itself serious too seriously, which is great because this is not a movie where you need to sit down and analyze and think about a lot of things. This is, it's popcorn fun. It's not trying to commu- communicate any grand message or, you know, pretend to be something it's not like the Prometheus marketing, like we're asking the big questions. It's just sit down, watch a great movie with great actors and super fun explosions and fight scenes. So I I, I, I do like it. It was yeah. pretty fun. Well, I mean, it it is trying to save the world. So that's a pretty big message. But I will say, uh, sort of breaking it down, one of the first things that you that you get in The Fifth Element very, very early in is the the Mila reveal, mm-hmm. uh, the Lilu reveal, I yes. should say. And she, I just mentioned that Jean-Paul Gaultier made the costumes, which are iconic. Um, and I'm just... Flipping weird. It's it's it spectac- make any the, sense. the costuming in this movie is by far the best part of. I thought Bruce Willis' performance was great. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Bruce Willis. I think he's. We talked about this movie. He's highly underrated as a like as an actor who completely carries a scene that he's in. Uh, I thought that was great. I thought a lot of things were great, but this is an absolute eye candy movie. Every, sure, everything yeah. like even the copy in front. I'm like, oh, those are dope, man. Everything in it, like yeah. that looks so cool. And it's interesting because I sometimes think. The, the visual um, piece of that that's so lovely, I often think of in comparison to Judge Dredd, the Stallone version of yeah. Dredd, mm-hmm. Judge Dredd, because that is beautiful to look at, mm-hmm. but impossible to watch. It's a difficult it's movie. Just it's just ludicrously difficult. difficult to watch. But some of those same things are true, like the futuristic um, three shells in the bathroom and Judge Dredd, all that <laughs> yeah, stuff, that yeah. don't quite gel the same way. Uh, and I think part of the reason it does that yeah. is... Mila Jojovich's um, physicality. That is, I think, her biggest strength as an actor. Certainly, she's gorgeous to look at and that. But she is, 
her, a lot of her characters come in her physicality. Yeah. She shows up, and she does it in Resident Evil 2, she shows up to whatever she's doing really open-hearted and open-minded as an actor yeah. and lets that, lets that what is happening to the character sort of visually, physically wash and, over her. And this was the nascent or early phase of her career as a physical, as a, as a physical actress because she does uh, quite a few of the combat scenes in Resident Evil as opposed yeah. to a stunt double. And she has someone... To, I would rank her up with one other actress, not counting Ronda Rousey as an actress, because sure, Ronda fair. Rousey, Peter Wilson, who did the little Femme Nikita TV show, which mm-hmm. I was a huge fan of. Her mm-hmm. and Milo, when they throw a punch, it looks like it would actually really hurt someone. For and sure. Some of that is the filmography, but it's the phys- like the physicality. And there's a lot of actors, you watch them throw punches in a movie and... It doesn't, and you can see them pull it right at the end. Yeah, yeah. you can see it. It doesn't. It, it's more WWE, which is fine. But though, I her ability to sell the action scenes, I think, is what has elevated her in in this particular genre. Yeah, but coming back to this movie, this the physicality I'm talking about here is actually, which is also per, pitch perfect, mm-hmm. is when she's first waking up and she oh, is yeah. terrified, and that is not. She's not powerful at all. She's not strong at all. She is clearly terrified and completely and alone. And you can see that in her frantic eyes mm-hmm. and the little, like, little bit of tears. Like, what is happening? And and that is not what the scene is about. And she brings all that power anyway. Well, let's go. Let's start from the beginning of the movie. That and, is the beginning of the movie. No, well, the beginning of the movie, like right off the bat, when oh. they're in Egypt. Okay. Three minutes and forty seconds in. Um, cause I agree. We're going to talk about that scene. Cause I thought that scene was lights up. It's the images are carrying the story. Mm-hmm. The sound is just like, okay, we're going to tell a pic to, we're going to tell us all visually. There's very little dialogue and we stop the movie to look up the director of photography and the cinematographer who's, uh, am I pronouncing this right? Theory, 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 yeah. are, um, abrogast. Um, I think he and Luke combining is what, and, and then of course all the costumes, but this is, if you are a visual person, if you are there because you are like to be blown away by perfect framing, unbelievable lighting, great, great focus, great setup on a, and, and great visual track through the whole course of a scene. There's never, I'm like, oh, where did he come from? Wait, yeah. I, didn't, I thought the room was round. You don't have any of that. It's all subtle and flawless and you don't notice it and it's just gorgeous to look at. And then at, um, they drop the name, the fifth element, within right the first away. five minutes, yeah, uh-huh. right out of the gate, like, okay, well, this is explaining that. And then shit jumps up a notch where an alien ship shows up and the what the fuck starts right out of the gate. <laughs> There's a lot of what the fuck. There's a lot of what the fuck. And then I think we get into, we, then we get into that scene you talked about, and it's, she's so good in that scene, it's disturbing. Like, you don't expect a splashy sci-fi movie like The Fifth Element, to have that moment of real humanity where you're like, oh, she's fucking, ter- she's absolutely terrified. Yeah, and it's an interesting thing because you you and I talk a lot about in your work, and you, when I read through a first draft or whatever, uh-huh. looking for moments that pull you out of the story. And they're important. If um, I just read a Kissy Man story that you're working on this week. Kissy Man is one of your recurring characters. Mm-hmm. And there was a thing that Kissy Man said, and I can't remember, it is not important what it was, but it was like, wait a minute, I don't, I don't think, that doesn't sound like the character I know. Okay. So that pulls you out of the story in a bad way. What's so interesting I, in, in the visual medium that you see a lot more in, in movies and TV 
than you do in books because books you are creating that whole visual in your own head. But in this moment, you have a moment where you're not really concerned about all the pieces. And it's small. It's not this is not hugely dramatic, but mm-hmm. you're not concerned about the pieces of the scene. You're like, is somebody gonna help that girl? Like, is somebody gonna help that girl? <laughs> but it instead of pulling you out, it kind of pulls you in. Because it can, because you're you're getting all this visual information that mm-hmm. she's not saying anything. And so the scene is happening around her where people are like, oh, that glass is bulletproof or <laughs> it's completely un- unbreakable or whatever. And then, of course, it isn't. But you have that moment where you're like, oh, honey, oh, honey. Yeah. And you're pulled and you're sucked into this completely ludicrous futuristic sci-fi it's, movie. It's silly and fun. And that's 27 minutes. When we finally see the fifth element, Mila. Everything is a setup until then. Yeah. Um, we have the president, tiny, tiny Tommy Lister, who was once, once, upon a, once upon a time, he was Zeus in the WWF. All you old people who remember the old, when it was the WWF. Um, and we stopped the movie again. We looked him up a little bit. Now, I'm not, I'm not super, I felt his performance as the president took me out of the movie. because right, in seemed, a not good way. Yeah, It seemed like a square peg in a round hole the way he played it. But this guy has had, he's amazing. He starts out as a WWF wrestler, which means... Dec- a decade of pure physical dedication and hard work and training and then elevates to the upper levels of that profession, which is rarefied air, and then turns around and has a 30-year acting career. Yeah, Go look him up on IMDb, uh, Tommy Tommy Lister, and it's just like nonstop work for 30 years. It's yeah. spectacular. Well, and it's we talk every once in a while on this cast about the difference between having it all and having enough. Mm-hmm. And it turns out, Tommy, if he wants to be Bruce Willis. That level of movie star, probably never going to happen. Right. Because he doesn't have all the pieces that make that happen. Mm-hmm. And yet, looking back 50 years later, you're like, okay, he had, he had everything. Like, he had yeah, it he had all. A great, he's had a great career and a great life. Well, apparently, hopefully a great life, but yeah, a great hopefully. career. Yeah, yeah. And so, it, yeah. it's interesting. At seven, 18 minutes in, we're, we're watching Bruce Willis in his tiny little apartment. Oh, wait, but oh. right before that, yeah. uh, when... when Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, because then, then we see Mila. Yeah, yes. so sorry. So I'm, 18 minutes in, um, we get, you know, real subtle, like he's got his little cluttered area of trophies. Oh, there's the Medal of Honor. Oh, he's a major. He's a vet. He's a, fa- he's a fighter pilot. He's a war hero. He just like, boom, that's where they do the huge info dump to mm-hmm. be like, it, okay, he's living in a closet. He's a bad motherfucker. And then all of that comes out a little later. So subtle... Real subtle, simple, overt, like you see what the director is doing, and it's totally like check mark, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can now believe when Bruce Willis does something crazy because Dallas Corbin is uh clearly a badass man. Yeah. And then um at twenty two minutes in we get a quick explanation of the Hui religion involved. And they're just you know, they're like the Wooey religion. Hui, the Hui. Okay. Well, Hui. I'm with you. I'm it's of, another thing. This is the I'm second stuck. time where commas matter. I'm stuck. Commas matter. But basically, I, I think... I was like, what is hooey? I think the screenwriters are like, here's all of the things we want to happen. And here are the, the plot beats we want and the moments of tension and the insurmountable hurdles that need to be surmounted to move the story on. And then they went and wrote a religion backwards. I yeah. think they, they, they made the movie, made the structure, it. they reverse engineered it. Yeah, and it's funny. Every time throughout the movie when you see Ian Holm and when you see the religious factions, mm-hmm. it's also in that, um, in that movie, in that setup, is so anachronistic. Mm-hmm. You're like, what, why, is he, why is he wearing a robe? Yeah. Why is he wearing a robe and has a houseboy? Mm-hmm. What is that? <laughs> That's weird. Cornelius. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> at 26 minutes, I want to t- we're getting now we're up to the Mila scene, but it's I didn't get a chance to look this up. I wanted to. They make Mila 
And I'm wondering if this is one of the early film examples of 3D prototyping. Because they, this is the woo crazy crap. They get, you know, a hand from one of the cool golden aliens who crashes. And then they scan that. And then this whole, they print her off. Bones, yeah. nerves, muscles. They, they basically chicken print scars. her. Chicken pox scars. Chicken pox. Those are always my favorite. <laughs> and also Superman has chicken pox scars. Okay. Okay. Doesn't work for me. So if you guys, uh, anybody out there, feel free to uh, comment on this. But I, I'm thinking that's the first visual example of of 3D prototyping in a movie, I think. Yeah, I, I don't know. So I'll take, I'll, I'll agree. That and a biological not. 3D prototyping. Yeah. I mean, because we've always had like the um, the food processors in Star yeah, Trek and yeah, everything, sure. but this is like, we printed a living being. Yeah. Uh, and then, so then there's the scene that I just discussed that I love so much. And then she breaks out of her little incubator or whatever. Uh-huh. And the, all of that is physical effects, right? That there, she, that's real it's a real glass thing she's in front of. She that scene is shot, I think, with her putting her hand through broken glass to punch, to grab the guy. Mm-hmm. All that, and it's it works. It's super fast. It's it's easier to do it that way. There's no need to CGI any of that. There's mm-hmm. not a lot of CGI back in '97 like there is today, but there's some. And then she. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Runs out of that room, which is right before she meet, meets <laughs> she Bruce Willis. She dives through the wall. She dives through some random ass, one, dives through some random ass wall. No idea how she knows what's behind it. Mm-hmm. Two, could be a solid wall, but no, no. We know when we're watching it. That's essentially made of tinfoil because it it's looks made of tinfoil. Like it's made, of, and her going through it looks exactly like it would look. And you're like, "Are you shitting me? Did you just build an iron lung out of plexiglass that Is she, she can punch a through?" Jiffy pop thing. I don't know what's happening. Here. And then you had her jump through tinfoil wall. Come on now. And there's and this is a big scene. You have to embrace 
the zaniness of that scene. Because if you're stuck on plot, you're going to get caught up in, why are they cloning her again? Exactly. And um, what is the purpose of all this? And wait a minute, she has a she has, has a full language being cloned from a hand and yet can't speak English and then until yet can learn. Until she can read it. And until the- she reads English, help me. And like, I felt bad for Mila. Mila's got to be looking at the script like, you guys, <laughs> you guys, I love you, but this doesn't make any sense. And they're like, just do it, just do it. And she did it. So there's... All kind, the plot completely collapses there, and you just have to you have to put on a smile and eat your popcorn and move yeah. forward because it's worth it. This was the moment when we were watching the the movie where I was like, "Oh yeah, when I was a blockbuster video <laughs> entertainment specialist, that's how I sold this." Like, okay, I know this all sounds crazy, but you just got to roll with it. Yeah, and and there are a million movies like that where where in real life you would scurry away with your children tucked under your arm from the crazy people doing this thing. Mm-hmm. But it isn't real life, and we're suspending disbelief in doing that. And I was totally serious, and you were like, okay. And you stopped the movie, and you were like, the fuck is an entertainment special? <laughs> but yeah, in college and after college, I was blockbuster video, had videos, and you would rent them. And, and I was such a movie nerd that I, I wrote a handful of the little descriptions, especially for Keanu Reeves movies. I did many of those because you used to be able to buy a trade paperback, like blockbuster video movie um, book Mm -hmm. so that you get a little description of what everything was. And I did some of that and, uh, and there, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of movies in there. But I also wore a very fun white vest Mm -hmm. that said on the front, my name, which is just a, so nobody understood that. Mm -hmm. And on the back, in the blockbuster blue and gold letters, it said blockbuster entertainment special specialist. And across my butt at the bottom of the vest, mm-hmm. it said, how can I entertain you? <laughs> yeah. And that is what I was supposed to do. I was supposed oh, to walk. My and my job all Friday and Saturday night was just to wander around the store. <laughs> With how can I entertain you And say, <laughs> hey, hi, I'm a blockbuster entertainment special specialist. How can I entertain you? Did you then turn around and say, look at my ass? No. And I never... I. Unless I could, every chance I could get away with it, I would not say, how can I entertain you? Because what the fuck were they thinking? I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, back, so then we went back you, to this if, if I'd had that job, I would have turned around every five minutes going, look at my butt. Can I help you? Can I help you? <laughs> I mean, I am entertaining you by showing you that my ass says, how can I entertain you? So at 37 minutes in, we get a massive five and a half minute long segment of McDonald's placements. Okay, I don't think it's five and a <laughs> it's half long. minutes long. It's two. It's three separate scenes, uh, complete with super hot chicks, which is great. You know, if you're going to sell your burgers, put in hot chicks. And then the McDonald's logo is all over this thing, and you just wonder how much they got paid. It, it's a very. It was a very expensive movie, which I'll get to in things you did not know. Mm. But the car that sets up the car chase, you know, it's kind of fun. You've got future cops, but they're jaded from their job. And then the car chase showing Corbin's fighter pilot ability, swooping dives into crazy traffic. Um, and it's real. It's, it's kind of, that's an excellent part of the scene. It is. And it, and it ties together. He has a skill set that will come in handy later mm-hmm. that he's using in a non-militaristic way right there just to save his own life. Right. And then he goes through that moment where he's happy to give her up until he's like, fuck. Yeah. Okay, I can't do he it. He can't do it. He can't. And then they drive through McDonald's land. So we in, in that moment he is clearly sacrificing his own future to save this complete stranger. So, you know, our emotional heartstrings are plucked right off the bat mm-hmm. and they really play up Mila's patheticness in this, which is weird because she's a perfect creature and can wind up whooping everybody's ass. Although she hasn't quite watched the Bruce Lee movie yet. So anyways, I digress. 
uh, I felt except for the president, all what was interesting is all the one-shot actors, the people who are only in one or two scenes, were all great. Like from the guy who pulls the gun on Bruce Willis and the first time you see Bruce Willis in his apartment to uh, the person Gary Oldman talks to, like in the hallway, to like, you know, you need to bring, go do what I tell you to do. Everybody's so good in it. 57 minutes in, I believe this is the first example of remote-controlled cockroach spy. Oh, my is, God. Which is now an actual an actual thing that they can do. You can control cockroaches remotely. So are we, like, at Story Smack 200, are, are the lists going to be factoids you have found in every movie? <laughs> we have to hire somebody to go through all of them. Like, here's the crazy here's shit Scott the, came up with. This is the first time we see a... I've never thought about that. Yeah. I don't think I'm ever going to think about it again. First remote-controlled cockroach spy... In, which I, which is significant to me as a geek because it's an actual thing now. I mean, it's less significant than you would Dude, imagine. you can put, cameras and microphones are so tiny, you can put them on a cockroach and you can remote control a cockroach. Oh, okay. And, yeah, okay. All right. Well, that, that's enough. I'm, I'm obsessing about the cockroach. Which is okay because right around, I mean, I think we already know, we've already met Gary Oldman at this point, yes. but that was, oh my God. I'm never going to get over Gary Oldman's weird plastic fascinator it's, on his head. It's what is that? What is that? I don't know. Why does he have to wear that? He could have the crazy accent. He could have the big collar. He could have the great hair. Why has he got to have the plastic can, uh, fascinator? Speaking of, but speaking of things that predict the future, can I tell you the thing I want to come true from this movie? <laughs> Please. Most want to come true. The McDonald's Other, scene? No. I mean, of course, next to a 3D printer that prints out Mila Jovovich, that would be <laughs> number one. <laughs> sure. I'd like that is the Chinese restaurant that floats up to your window. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> it's the best thing. I want it so bad. I want that. But you know that exists in Hong Kong. Does it? Yeah. If you're on, is it Aberdeen? You can, you can the, people will come up and serve you on the water. And um, the, it's not quite a, a restaurant restaurant, but it's exactly I that. Move, I got to move to Hong Kong. I'm sorry. Business is over. I'm moving to Hong Kong. Okay. Um, okay. So then we get through. Another crazy Fakakta, is that it? Fakakta. Fakakta part where You know you are the Jew, right? I know that. <laughs> okay. I know and I'm not good with the lingo. Where they there's some kind of crazy swap of cards on the doors that makes no sense. The yeah. business card on the door, and of course they get away. And then we get to it when it really jumps up a notch and we get to see Chris Tucker be spectacular. Fantastic. Spectacular. Yeah. And I have information about that in my list okay. as well. Um, and then we get, you know, the, uh, the sci-fi equivalent of the classic cruise ship. And the cruise ship is important in a storytelling device because it provides isolation. Mm -hmm. You know, you're stuck on this cruise ship. You're in, in what's called an option lock. You have to survive on the ship. There's a ticking, a time lock and an option lock. So those are two um, storytelling devices. Time lock, obviously, we have the ticking clock and the bomb goes off. And then you have an option lock, which means you are stuck here and you can't get away till you deal with the bad guys. And Basant throws both of those in and it all works. It's beautiful to look at. works out pretty well. Mm -hmm. um, I would like to point out that at one hour and 28 minutes in this movie, we get the blue tentacle lady. And while she's very interesting looking from a sci-fi perspective, even Captain Kirk wouldn't have hit that. That's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm not sure that's and true. And he hit everything that moved and tried to hit everything else he, yeah. so i think he would well he would have tried anyway uh and then we get a crazy fight scene at one thir an hour and 30 and i don't know it's i'm not complaining about shaky camera or anything like that but at some point you these huge choreographed fight scenes where people actually have guns and you're like just shoot her just like i'm, all, I'm almost mad for the orc things i'm like she's standing right there just shoot 
Lilu. Instead, Lilu jumps around and kicks the crap out of everybody. Sure. And I have uh, information in that fight scene in my list, too. Well, we should probably head towards that. I have a few other comments. Hit me. Um, Hit me. The, Ruby Road has an acolyte um, yeah. who has half of a, like oh. a half buzz cut. Yeah. And I, I feel like you should do that for the junkies. <laughs> well, I do have one picture somewhere on my Instagram where I've, ha- I, I've done that. I've grown the full Red, oh, red Wings play right. up here. And then just shaved half of it. It's yeah. very strange to look at. So okay, scottsigo.com so, slash Instagram. You have to scroll down for a while, but it's in there. Maybe you should do it again, but shave half, like like the left half of your head. Yeah. And then your right eyebrow. No. And then the left half of your beard. No. no. I mean, why not? It'll all no, grow back. I, no. No. I'm not shaving my eyebrows. That's not going to I happen. mean, just one. No. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely not. Fair. I would also like to point out that my favorite part of this movie, favorite part of this movie out of all the things I liked about it, is one hour and 46 minutes, there's a completely random werewolf howl. <laughs> out of nowhere, I just stopped and rewinded three times. like, is that a werewolf howl? And rewinding, they're on a cruise ship. In, it's a spaceship in Folsom Paradise. Ship. It's a space cruise ship. We've seen no werewolves. There's no werewolf in the scene. All of a sudden, woo! And like, okay, well, that's very crazy. So uh, that's it, man. Would you like to get to the list of things you didn't know? Or do you have other elements about uh, the no, elements about the elements? No, I think we should get to the list of things I did not know. Because okay. I'm starting to, you, you have worn me down. I'm now starting to look forward to the list of things I did not know. It's oh, a good bit. Because... I didn't know I didn't know them, and I didn't know I needed to know them, but damn it, apparently I need to know, as long as it's not 17. Uh, no, I tried to keep it small. Let's see. We'll go until you cut me off. Okay. Uh, this is collated from our pals over at Mental Floss. Shocker. Who, who write the articles just for us. Just for you. So uh, props to Eric D. Snyder at Mental Floss. Um, bro. Bro, bro. At the time when it was made, it was the most expensive non-U.S. film in history. It cost North, I've read some 70 million, some 90 million to make. Remember, that's 20, 20 year old dollars. Um, and it, it was The Lost World Jurassic Park was released the same year, so they're other big budget movies. And it did not make its money back in the US market, but it has gone on overall worldwide careers, grossed $264 million. Nice. So it seems like hopefully everybody's happy. Yep. Talk about, is it John Paul or Jean Paul? John Paul Gottlieb. John Paul Gottlieb. Um, he is the man who gave Madonna her iconic conical boobies. Yes. Yes. The conical boobies. He did all the, all the costumes for the fifth element, more than a thousand costumes Holmes designed. And he didn't just design them either. He would, for crowd scenes, he was on set the whole time. Oh, really? Walking around making that. adjustments. He was there apparently the entire production, like a tireless perfectionist and even stuff you wouldn't see. He didn't care. He would. So if you watch the movie again, pay attention to the costumes and realize that all of that is the brainchild of one incredibly creative individual. My favorite fact that you did not know, do you know who Ruby Road, Chris Tucker's character, was intentionally intent, in, intended for? No. Prince. Ugh. Prince. They were trying to get Prince. And here's where it gets to be the best thing I've ever heard in the history of movies ever. Prince didn't want to do the part because Prince thought the costumes for Ruby Road were too effeminate. Yeah. <laughs> so Prince with the eyeliner and the and the and the you know the luscious hair and the frilled shirts uh, and the blouses yeah. and the crazy stacked heels all he like no I don't they're too effeminate. I was like 
oh my God, it's the greatest thing I've ever heard yeah, in my life. And then great. it helped because he passed on that. Uh, it helped make Chris Tucker a giant movie star. Well, and Chris Tucker has the ability at that time in his career. I mean, he's super talented. He's also, you know, he's... He had done that, Friday? Yeah, I think he had done Friday. Yeah. And he's he's also had like some late night TV show spots where he does the imitating, a okay. poli- oh, like Im- making voices and whatever. Uh-huh. But he, he, he essentially has a completely, totally empty slate. He can oh, do anything so he wants. Yeah. And the, if you think about it, he's a kid at the time too. Mm-hmm. And I find it fascinating because I don't think I have those nerves. I don't think I've ever in my life had been like, okay, well, I'm just going to go big. And he goes so big. I know it's, and, and it's, it's admirable from like, I mean, what, what do I have to lose kind of perspective, but not everybody can embrace that. I don't yeah. think that I could, could have been like, I mean, what if this is the only movie I make? Who cares? I'm going all in. And I thought it was really cool. Of course, I'm reading into this because I'm a huge Bruce Willis fan. Um, But Bruce Willis back, like when those two were on screen together, it was Chris, it was the Chris Tucker show. Ruby Mm -hmm. Road was commanding the whole scene and it was made, his performance was made more um, observable and fun because Bruce Willis is dialed down into monosyllabic, head down, eyes down, not saying yeah. anything. So it's real. The contrast between them was super fun. Even though Bruce Willis is the giant star and Chris Tucker's an up and comer, Bruce Willis totally like had to see that kid and be like, yeah, I just got to. And I not only that, off. that's one of the great things about one of the underrated things about Bruce Willis as an actor is he is, he is, which is going to sound strange to say for an action movie hero. Mm-hmm. He is all about making the best scene he can make, I believe. Mm-hmm. He is not about what you see often. I want to look pretty. I am the star here. Mm-hmm. It is my show. And he really does sit in a class with, you know, I think De Niro does this. I think um, Al Pacino does this. I think Helen Mirren does this. I think uh, Meryl Streep is famous for doing that. It doesn't matter whether or not she's the biggest character, has the most lines, if she's in the scene in the background doing something, those same things you were saying about Jean-Paul Gaultier, I think Bruce Willis and those other actors I named do consistently. So even if he's at his sink and supposed to be brushing his teeth and there's an action thing happening in front of him, he's probably really doing that yeah. because he just wants to make he's it just, the yeah. most real he can. He seems like a team player, which is weird to be that one of the biggest, probably top 10 biggest stars in the last 30 years. Uh, getting on to Mila Jovovich's fight scenes, some of her high kicks were performed by a leg on a stick. <laughs> the actress trained for her fight scenes, but she was still mostly a novice. In particular, she couldn't kick very high. As she explained it, they worked around this by using a fake leg on a stick held just below the frame. She'd move her bodies if she's doing the high kick, and then they would swing the kick up <laughs> into the frame. Movie magic. Do you think it was the same leg that was in a, in a Christmas story? Fragile leg? Oh, that'd be, that would have been amazing. That mm-hmm. would have been amazing. Uh, here's another one. The cat, the the blue lady that Kirk wouldn't shack up with, which we presume, the cast didn't know what she would look like until she came on stage. So the director, Luke Besson, wanted to capture everyone's natural astonished reaction to that. So nobody knew what it was going to be until they're sitting in the seats and she walks out on the stage. Interesting. That's super cool. Um, Besson wishes it'd take even longer to get made. He explained to the the playlist. I was a little bit frustrated because I made the film right before all the new effects arrived. So when I did the film, it was all blue screen, six hours, dots on the wall, takes forever to do one shot. Now, basically, you put your camera on your shoulder and then you run and you add a couple of dinosaurs and spaceships, end quote. He said he would love the chance to make another future six sci-fi film. And this is an interview from uh, 10, 15 years ago. Maybe even a sequel of fulfillment, 
but that is not going to happen. However, he does get his wish because his upcoming movie is called Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. And it's a giant blockbuster sci-fi spectacular with a budget of $180 million. Before marketing. Before marketing. So it will be out July 21st, starring Clive Owen, Ethan Hawke, and Rihanna, among Hmm. others. I understand Rihanna stole your outfit when she went to the med. I was so mad. I was totally, I had it laid out on the bed to wear the next day. (laughs) And I'm like, great. Now everybody thinks I'm, everybody thinks I'm going to be copying Riri. I I mean, to be fair, you could still wear those crazy shoes. (laughs) Actually, that'd be a great costume to wear to Gen Con, Con, the Dragon Con or something like that. Okay. Okay. You have four more. Four four more. Okay. Here we go. These are movie making tidbits grabbed from cheeseburger.com and they're happening four dots. So we're going to finish up with these. Okay. Uh, many of the Mangalores, which basically is space orcs, um, they, wore, they wore combat goggles in, in the movie because this was a practical solution to hide the actor's eyes, which were visible through the masks, and to save money on makeup, instead of having to do all the practical effects and contact lenses around the eyes, they put goggles on them. Fair. Movie magic. Fair. The voice of Finger... The person that Bruce Willis is talking to about bringing the cab in for service and has two scenes with his voice in it. Do you know who that was? Mm, Luke Besson. Vin Diesel. An I uncredited, like it. I uncredited like it. Vin Diesel. And I didn't look it up yet, but I'm not sure where Vin Diesel's credit. I don't know. I don't know when Pitch Black came out. Um, uh, but I, I think I think this is before he was a big deal. More movie magic. In all of the spaceship shots in this movie, the stars in the background were created. By poking holes in a sheet of black fabric. Yeah, that's pretty common. That's pretty common. I thought that was pretty cool. And poor Mila. When filming began, the production department decided to dye Mila's hair from natural brown to that signature orange-blonde combination. But due to the fact that it had to be re-dyed often during production, her hair became too damaged and broken to withstand the dye. So eventually, they had to create a wig for her, and she wore a wig for the rest of the production. could you imagine? Because not only that, then she has to shave her head and grow it all back anyway because yeah. it's just so damaged. I've been there when I was 16 doing it to myself. You, ha- in. you have to wonder, because she was very young in this movie, early early 20s, I'm not sure. Maybe. But here's her like the biggest opportunity of her entire career. And there has to be that moment where she's like looking at her hair being just destroyed and disintegrating and wondering like, am I out? Am I going to be out? Are they going to have to get somebody else oh, for you this? Think so? I oh, just wonder yeah, if like that's a, fir- that's a first reaction before the people are like, no, no. It's, but I, she'd done a lot of TV in a little bit, so she might have been seasoned. But I just imagine that moment of when you have that realization, like, this is not going to work at all. Because we have this in our business all the time. And we always solve these problems. And it winds up okay. But that initial moment of like, oh, I've put six months into working on this thing. And now it's not going to work. And we're screwed. We have the worst screwed conversation about once every other month. Yeah. So there's a couple other little tidbits, but uh, they're more soap opera-y. I will say that I did a quick look up, and uh, this movie came out in 1997, Fifth Element, and Pitch Black came out in 2000. Okay, so Vin was largely largely unknown. Yeah, uh, he was making his way towards Pitch Pitch Black, which is, in fact, that's where it starts, but he doesn't become a bigger star until... Well, after that. Uh, Pitch Black, he was star-born. Pitch Black was his launch vehicle, and then he moved into Triple X, and of course, he's done. He's, which is weird to think about. Vin Diesel is absolutely in the top 10 most successful actors and producers based on uh, gate, based on box office. And you don't think about that, like, because he's done all this cool stuff, and a lot of people bag on him because he's big, kind of dopey on screen sometimes. He is uh, an absolute top 10 Hollywood player 
with the Fast and the Furious franchise. And it's, it's crazy to think about he was just an uncredited voice in The Fifth Element. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there That's you go. Great. That's my list of things you might not know. I like it. I like it. So uh, I guess that is it for episode 18 of Story Smack. Uh, we do hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you have a book, a TV, a, a television series, mm-hmm. or, I'm sorry, movie, or any other story you want us to talk about, email your idea to info at empty set. Next week, we have no idea what we're talking about, I don't think, but we're I, probably I looking at break, a general breakdown of a story. Uh, well, my nephews are in town, and I'm going to see if we can find a subject to talk about so that we can get the perspective of old farts versus new guard. Yeah. I kind of want to see if I can get them, if they're willing to go on the microphone, we'll watch something that you and I might think is like, that's horrible. And they'll be like, they'll be like, oh, Uncle Scott, yeah. Uncle Scott. Because my nephew's six foot four, two ten. Oh, Uncle Scott, that movie was awesome. Well, like, you know, we actually had that the last time we saw them. We had that. I won't say it was a TV show. And I won't say oh. it here just in case we don't talk about it. But we, but we watched a recent pop, was it a Netflix show? Because your nephew Caden was all, Uncle Scott. Uncle oh, that's Scott. Right. It's great. Yes. So we'll see if they want to talk about that. Okay. And, I, and if not, we'll figure out something else. Okay. Cool. Uh, so um, you can find us both online. Scott is at Scott Sigler on Twitter and Instagram. And his Facebook page is facebook.com slash Scott Sigler. I am a real girl on Twitter and a.real.girl on Instagram. We are at Story Smack. I'm sorry, scottsingler.com slash Story Smack. And we would love to see your comments there on the blog. You can find us on iTunes by searching for Scott Sigler Audiobooks. Subscribe and you'll get a free audiobook every Sunday and a big hit of Story Smack every Friday. And until next week, we will talk to you all real, real soon. soon. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.